why and how to apply loudness normalization to your podcast. Welcome to the Audacity to Podcast, episode 307. Thank you for joining me for the Audacity to Podcast. I'm Daniel J. Lewis, and this is the award-winning in-depth podcast about podcasting. It's where I give you the guts and teach you the tools to launch and improve your own podcast for sharing your passions and finding success. One of the tools in podcasting that I think we all need to use is loudness normalization. This is the process of conforming your audio to a consistent perceived loudness. So this episode will be all about why that's important and how you can apply it to your own podcast, regardless of what tools you use to create your podcast. If you would like to follow along in the show notes for episode 307 and get the links to the resources that I'll mention later on, then go to theaudacitypodcast.com slash loudness. First, why even bother? Why does this matter? Why do we need a loudness normalization standard? Imagine this. You press play on your favorite podcast episode, and the intro music is a bit louder than the previous podcast you listened to, so you turn down the volume. Then the main host comes in to introduce the topic, but they're quieter than the music, so you have to turn up the volume. Then the co-host comes on, and they're even quieter than the host, so you have to turn up the volume again so you can hear them, but then it's a little painful when you hear the main host unless you go back and forth with your volume controls. After a while, they segue into their interview with some bumper music, and the bumper music is, unfortunately, louder than their voices, so you have to turn down the volume before you damage your ears. This is a separately recorded interview, and you are, again, having to continuously adjust the volume level so you can hear both participants and not damage your hearing either. At last, the podcast is over, but you have to turn down the volume one last time because the outro music is too loud. Then, the next podcast on your player starts playing, and it's too quiet. So you have to turn up the volume again, and this fight continues, episode after episode. Does this sound familiar? That kind of frustration happens every day, and can happen to any podcast, even the professionally produced podcasts. In fact, many of the professionally produced podcasts have this problem within their own episodes, that you have to adjust the volume level back and forth in order to be able to hear things and not blast your hearing. That's why we need loudness normalization standards. This would ensure that the only time a listener must adjust their volume level is when their environment changes, not when anything about the podcast changes. This volume fighting annoyance could be easily solved with loudness normalization in three places. Number one, within each episode. That ensures that participants and sound clips are all at the same loudness level. So you could jump to the beginning or the end or the middle or anywhere in between and the volume level would sound the same as each other section. Number two, across episodes. This ensures that all episodes from one podcast are the same loudness as each other. You could go from episode five to episode six and it's the same loudness. You could go from episode 6 to episode 25, and it's still the same loudness. And number three, across podcasts. This ensures that podcasts from separate creators are all the same loudness. Loudness normalization then solves all this by conforming all pieces of audio, 
within an episode, across episodes, across podcasts, so that they're all to the same perceived loudness level by using a loudness normalization standard. The ultimate goal really should be that you could jump from anywhere in any podcast to anywhere in any other podcast and never have to adjust your volume control. And the only time you would have to adjust your volume would be when your environment changes, not when something about the podcast you're listening to changes. And that's why we need a loudness normalization standard. And we have one. But before I tell you about that, you need to understand how loudness is measured. Perceived loudness is now commonly indicated by loudness units relative to full scale, or LUFS, which is pronounced LUFS for short. In the past, it was also called loudness K-weighted relative to full scale, or LKFS, and there used to be some technical differences between LKFS and LUFS, but today they're essentially the same, so much so that whenever you see LKFS in software, you can assume it also means LUFS, or LUFS. LUFs are an absolute measurement relative to the full scale of zero decibels. Thus, you'll see LUFs indicated with negative numbers like negative 16 LUFs, negative 19 LUFs, negative 23 LUFs, and such. You may even also hear people abbreviate negative 19 to something like neg 19 in speech, but not in writing. You'll just see the little minus symbol in writing. LUFs are an indication of the unit of measurement, which is actually loudness units. That's the LU. And loudness units are actually equal units to decibels. So if you need to amplify by two loudness units, you would simply amplify by two decibels. It's nice and easy that way. So if your target loudness is negative 16, but you measured in at negative 18, then all you need to do is add two more decibels of gain, and then you'll reach that target loudness. The algorithm behind LUFs is designed to measure long-term averages of audio, not mere peaks like most of the normalization tools do. If you go into Audacity, Audition, or almost any other tool and you choose Normalize, it will adjust the overall volume of your entire track based on the loudest point in your audio. So if you have a really loud point, then it could mean the rest of your audio ends up being too quiet because everything is normalized to that one loud point. LUFS, however, averages across the entire episode. So a momentary peak would barely affect the long-term measured loudness of the processed section. It may affect it a little. It may affect it not at all. But a standard normalizer would affect the entire track based on that one peak. And it could be one tiny little portion of your audio that then messes up the normalization for the rest of the audio. Think, for example, if you start your audio out and you have a loud moment at the beginning of your audio, but then the rest of your audio, you're pretty consistent. Well, a standard normalizer would then raise or lower things based on that loud spot in the beginning, thus maybe making the rest of your audio too quiet. A LUFS measuring tool and workflow would instead go on the perceived loudness, which is based on the average across everything. So even though you may get loud at the beginning, that's not what affects how much volume should be added or removed from your audio. It's the average of everything else. Loudness normalization is therefore the measurement of only the average long-term perceived loudness of audio. It actually has nothing to do with the dynamic range of your audio or the peaks. However, 
the user experience and perception of loudness is made of three parts. And these are three parts that go into a recipe for the ideal loudness normalization. Those three parts are loudness range, integrated or program loudness, and true peak. The loudness range, often abbreviated LRA, is the statistical difference between loud and quiet spots over time, measured in loudness units, LU. Integrated loudness or program loudness is the perceived loudness of selected audio, and that's measured in LUFs. This is what we're usually referring to when we say the loudness of a track. It's that integrated loudness or program loudness. Then true peak is the micro-sampled level of the loudest point in audio, and it's more accurate than a normal peak because it measures between samples of audio. It's like getting in with a magnifying glass and discovering whether something truly peaks where it says it does or where it seems to. And this is measured in decibels or more accurately, decibels true peak, which would be abbreviated DBTP. Standard loudness measurement tools will show you those three parts because they help you ensure a fully consistent loudness experience. It's not merely about the numbers here. It's really about the perception and the experience for the consumer. For example, audio with a loudness of negative 16 LUFs, but a loudness range of 20 loudness units, or LUs, could have so much variation that a listener still has to fight with the volume controls. Thus, the loudness range should be reduced to make it more listenable, and then the whole renormalized to the target loudness, and the experience would then be much better. I'll tell you more about how to do that in a moment. And although true peak is often measured in the loudness tools, it actually doesn't affect our perception of the overall loudness. For example, audio at negative 16 LUFs with a true peak of negative 4 decibels would sound the same as that audio with a true peak of negative 2 decibels. That's because the peaks are so small that they are usually unnoticed. It's when audio peaks for a long time that it becomes noticeable. Nonetheless, limiting the true peak reduces the chance for distortion and thus provides a better user experience for the audio in your podcast. So the loudness normalization as a standard really specifically only refers to that integrated loudness or the program loudness, the overall perceived loudness of the track. But it's best if you implement these other parts as well so that you can have a better experience for the user. And we do have a loudness standard for podcasts. Broadcast radio and television generally have a loudness standard of negative 23 LUFs, and that's gated, so it excludes measurement of audio below a reasonable threshold. You may also see negative 24 LUFs, depending on the specific algorithm and even sometimes the country. But podcasts are internet media and not broadcast radio or television. So the technical considerations and environments are significantly different. Many popular media programs already offer loudness normalization through optional features, such as voice boost or sound check or other similarly marked features inside of the playback. So when many of the greatest minds in audio engineering and contributors in broadcast standards got together and proposed a loudness standard for podcasts, they align nicely with pre-existing common practices. For example, the sound check feature inside of iTunes will, on average, normalize audio to negative 16.2 LUFs. 
So by having this loudness standard for podcasts match what already has been existing in other apps and services, this not only provides a consistent experience for internet-based media, but it also accounts for the diverse environments people consume internet-based media in the car, at home, in noisy environments, in quiet environments. Thus, we have a standard of negative 16 lufs for stereo and negative 19 lufs for mono. And I'll tell you more about that three decibel difference in a moment. I've referred to this previously as a proposed standard, and I've been talking about this for many years. But seeing the broad adoption and lack of significant support for any competing proposal, I'm now comfortable calling this the loudness standard for podcasts. The reason for that three decibel difference between stereo and mono is because of pan law, or sometimes called pan rule. This is a mixing and recording principle based on the physics of sound. You may already be familiar with the fact that if you double a sound source, it gives you a six decibel increase. And pan law with digital and playback devices is intended to ensure a consistent volume level if you were to play an audio source through two speakers or two sides of headphones and then started panning the audio back and forth, fully left, fully right, centered, back and forth like that, it should come across as the same perceived loudness regardless of where you pan it. Essentially, in these digital and playback devices, doubling the mono signal will result in a three decibel increase in the perceived loudness level of that same signal. And you may even see this in audio editing software when converting a stereo track to mono or mono to stereo it will actually change the waveform to make it look like it's quieter or make it look like it's louder, but it may not affect the actual perceived loudness of that audio. There are some caveats and exceptions to this, and it seems the industry of apps and devices may never shift to fully compensate for pan law. And although that's the goal, In the meantime, we should account for pan law by making the adjustments ourselves based on the format of media we publish, whether we're publishing in stereo or mono. That's why the standard for mono is three decibels lower than for stereo. Although it will measure three decibels lower with most tools, if you give it a mono signal at negative 19 lefts, it's perceptually the same level. Now, some tools will actually report a negative 19 lefts mono audio as negative 16 lefts. It won't really differentiate it. It's not compensating fully or it is compensating overly for pan law. You just need to know how your particular tool is measuring it. The tools I'll mention later on measure without compensating for pan law. So if you give it negative 19 lefts mono, it will report negative 19 lefts mono. But the important thing for you to keep in mind is that although the measurements will be different, the perception of the loudness will actually be the same even though there's a three decibel offset between mono and stereo. And most devices and apps will play the negative 19 lefts mono at the same perceived loudness of a negative 16 lefts stereo. Paul Figiani has a really nice explanation of this that goes into much more detail in a blog post on his site at producenewmedia.com. And I have a link to that in the show notes at theaudacitypodcast.com slash loudness. Also, go there to the show notes and you can test this yourself because I've provided two audio files as a sample. 
One is mono at negative 19 lefts, and the other is stereo at negative 16 lefts. Try these in different apps, devices, and players for yourself and see whether they sound the same or different volume levels. What's really interesting about when I created these, I made the mono version first and normalized it to negative 19 lefts, and then in Adobe Audition, I converted it to stereo, but I didn't have to renormalize it because when it was converted to stereo, it automatically went to negative 16 lefts. So it accounted for pan law, and your software may do that same thing. So the loudness standard for podcasts then is negative 16 lefts for stereo and negative 19 lefts for mono. In addition to that standard, and that is the actual standard, and only that is the standard, at least right now, there are some ideal targets for true peak and loudness range. I recommend that the true peak be no higher than negative 1.5 decibels. This isn't part of the standard, and there's no requirement for what the true peak should be, only that it's best not to go above that limit in order to minimize the chance of distortion. Audio at negative 4 decibels true peak is fine. You don't have to raise it in order to get to negative 1.5. You just don't want to go above negative 1.5 or really not above negative 1. Now, in certain cases, especially in broadcast media, they want more headroom. And so they may say negative 3 decibels is the maximum true peak. And it goes back to what are their requirements for where they are. But in podcasting, it's more just a general good idea to avoid going above negative 1.5 decibels. And that can be with either a standard limiter or a true peak limiter. But I'll talk more about those in a moment. Loudness range is something else to consider. But again, there's no actual standard on it either. Only a recommendation. And there are several factors that could require different loudness ranges. Music, for example, is designed with a wide loudness range. And you may want to keep that wide loudness range, especially if your music fades in or fades out. But there could also be cases in your podcast that you would want the music to not have as much dynamic range, such as when it's in the background and you don't want the strong contrast and volume levels to conflict with the voices in the foreground. In general, spoken word is probably best with a loudness range below 8 loudness units, or LUs. But consider the cause for the loudness range if you have something bigger or something smaller than that. For example, you may get emphatic during a portion of your content and it might be important for the increased loudness to remain noticeable. In such cases, a wide loudness range is desired and you can keep that. But if you intend to stay at a consistent loudness and you see a high loudness range reported, you may then want to target a loudness range below six loudness units or maybe even below four loudness units. But if your audio starts sounding overly compressed and almost robotic, like modern robotic, then your loudness range is probably too small. The idea here is to leave in enough dynamic range that it sounds natural and to reduce the loudness range so that it's listenable in various environments and so people aren't having to adjust their playback volume while they listen. Also, the loudness range could be affected by variations between participants where one person is consistently quieter than the other person. And in such a case, it would be better to normalize the multiple sources, whether on separate tracks or within a track, to the same LUFS target, so there's not as much loudness difference between them. And if the voices are on separate tracks, then it's so much easier, because then you can easily loudness normalize each track to that target level without having to do any kind of compression. 
and then the loudness range itself will also improve. If they're recorded onto the same track, however, and mixed together, and you notice whenever you're talking, the waveform is bigger, whenever your co-host or guest is talking, the waveform is smaller, then you do have a consistency problem within a single track, and you'll need to fix that loudness range with some compression, which I'll tell you more about in a moment. And simply keep in mind that with this standard, the idea is to have listenable audio, and you don't have to obsess over a 0.1 or 0.2 difference in some of these things. It's okay if it's a little bit off. It's the experience that matters most. So are you ready to dig in? I've got a universal loudness normalization workflow that you can follow regardless of whatever tool you use, whether it's free software or paid software. Now, there are tools that make loudness normalization easier, and I'll cover some of those in a moment, but it's important for you to understand this whole loudness normalization workflow and accounting for these other recommendations so that you can make appropriate adjustments when necessary or if you're switching tools or so you know simply what's going on in the background. And if something doesn't quite sound right, you can know what to undo and go back and do a little bit differently. So again, the elements of a loudness normalization workflow and what affects them are as follows. Loudness range, or LRA, is affected either by vocal technique consistency and then adjustable with compression, or it's affected by mismatched loudness from different tracks. And if that's the case, it's adjustable with independent normalization, maybe no compression required. Integrated loudness or program loudness, that's the LUFs that we're usually talking about with the loudness standard, is affected by recording levels and adjustable with gain or amplification. True peak or DBTP is affected by the loudest parts in your audio and is adjustable or distortion is prevented with limiting. I made a video tutorial to demonstrate this process with exact details on how to use each of these tools that I'll mention. This video is available exclusively to members of Podcaster Society. So if you're already a member, log in, go to the tutorial section, and you'll see the Universal Loudness Normalization Workflow tutorial that you can watch there. Or if you're on the show notes, simply click the link and it will take you to that where you can log in if you're a member there of Podcaster Society. But here's an overview of this process, and this is inspired by Paul Figiani's podcast loudness processing workflow. It's an eight-step process, and some of these eight steps may not be necessary depending on the audio that you have and how it measures in these different things. But step one, measure the loudness, and you can do that with a free tool like R128X GUI for macOS or Orbin Loudness Meter for Windows. I have links to these in the show notes at theaudacitypodcast.com slash loudness. Step two, compress if necessary to reduce the loudness range. If it seems like it's too high, if it sounds like it's too high, use compression. Step three, measure LUFs to see how offset they are. Simply look at that number and you're going to use that number, the offset number, for some math in just a moment. Don't worry. It's simple math. And step four is where we use that math. You adjust the gain to an intermediate target of negative 24 for stereo or negative 27 for mono. This is not our ultimate target, but it does have that three decibel offset for mono. So you need to account for that. So if, for example, your audio measures in at negative 25 LUFs and it's stereo, then you need to adjust the gain, add one more decibel of gain so it comes up to negative 24 for stereo. Or if it's mono, then you need to remove two decibels of gain to bring it down to negative 27 for mono. 
some simple math there. Don't panic yet. The rest of this is easy. Step five, hard limit to negative 9.5 decibels. This is best if it's done with a true peak limiter, but not all apps have a true peak limiter. So a standard limiter will probably be okay. And yes, everything will still seem quite low right now, but step six fixes that. Amplify by eight decibels. So if you are at negative 24 for stereo, adding eight decibels brings you up to negative 16. Similarly, if you are at negative 27 for mono, then adding eight decibels brings you up to negative 19. Then you want to ensure you're at the right level. So step seven, remeasure to ensure you're at that left target. And step eight, if you're not there and you're too far off, then adjust the gain as necessary. But remember that a small variation in loudness is acceptable. If your target is negative 19 and you're at negative 19.2, that's probably okay. I would say that a 0.2 variation, either positive or negative, is acceptable. Some people would say 0.5, 0.4, and some tools will even measure this slightly differently. So you may run audio through a phonic, and then you use one of these other tools, and it says you're at negative 16.2 when a phonic said you were at negative 16. That's okay. You don't have to obsess over hitting that exact number. But if you wanted to, or you were off by even more, then adjust the gain as necessary to raise or lower so that you hit that target. These eight steps, along with the free measuring tools, will work with any audio editing software, such as Audacity, GarageBand, and other things like that. However, you may get better results or save time by using tools designed for this exact thing. So this is where you definitely want to go to the show notes if you don't have any of these tools and get the links for these. Go to theaudacitypodcast.com slash loudness. First, measurement tools. R128X GUI is free for Mac OS or Orbin Loudness Meter is free for Windows. Both of these are for measuring the loudness, loudness range, and decibels true peak. They won't change the audio for you, but by using these tools, you can do some basic math on your own to see what kind of changes you need to make. Then, a phonic. This is free and there are paid options. This is available as a web version. It's also available as a desktop app for Windows and Mac OS. And this is my favorite tool for processing audio quickly and easily. You can set the target loudness. You can enable the adaptive leveler to reduce the loudness range. And it even already has an automatic true peak limiter. And a phonic can also do some really cool magic with your audio, like reducing the background noise and some other really nice things. Adobe Audition includes a tool called Match Volume, and Adobe Audition is paid software. It's available for Windows and Mac OS. The Match Volume tool is loudness normalization built right into Adobe Audition, which is my preferred digital audio workstation, or DAW. The Match Volume tool works on files or on multi-track clips, and it can measure and adjust to a customizable target with built-in true peak limiting. However, it doesn't measure or affect the loudness range, so you may need to do that separately if your audio needs it. And while you're in Adobe Audition, you can see the loudness range with their other tool called the Loudness Radar. And again, Adobe Audition is paid software available for Windows and Mac OS. Loudness Radar is not for normalizing. It's for analyzing. 
visually analyzing and measuring. This will show you the loudness, loudness range, and decibel true peak of any played audio. And it works even if you use the playback shuttle to play your audio back at faster speeds in case you want to analyze a little clip a little bit faster. Do keep in mind this is considered an effect, so it will slow down your export if you leave this loudness radar effect on your audio. Even though it doesn't do anything to your audio, it only analyzes it. So turn it off or remove it before you do any kind of exports so that it doesn't slow down your exports or simply be patient. Hindenburg Journalist and Hindenburg Journalist Pro are, in my opinion, the best standalone single-purchase DAWs for podcasting. Both Journalist and Journalist Pro can automatically loudness normalize any clip you drop into the editor. Then you can export your audio with a target loudness preset of negative 16 LUFs for stereo, and it will automatically do negative 19 LUFs for mono. A new kit on the block is fixmylevels.com. This is free and will have paid options after it comes out of beta. This is very similar to a phonic, but its algorithms are a bit more aggressive than a phonic, and they've designed it more specifically for podcasts. So you may get better results with this than a phonic. You may get worse results. It really depends on the audio you put in. You can try it out if you want. I've got a link to it in the show notes. If you use Reaper, which is inexpensive but paid software for Windows and Mac OS, it's a great alternative to Audacity. A little bit more expensive, but a little bit better. There is a free set of extensions called Standing Water Studios Simple and Mighty or SWS slash SNM. And inside of those extensions is a tool for measurement and normalization of your audio within Reaper. So you don't have to run a separate program. You install those free extensions, and then you can do that right inside of Reaper. There are other tools for measuring and adjusting audio too, and they're either through a plugin, a standalone app, or a built-in feature. With many of these tools, you may see them refer to online and offline. And that's not talking about whether you're connected to the internet. Online refers to analyzing during playback, while offline can analyze the audio without playback. And so it's faster than real-time, but online can show you real-time results while you're playing. Some of these tools are limited to only one way or the other. Like the loudness radar built into Adobe Audition is an online analyzer. So it only analyzes audio while it's playing. Whereas R128X GUI is an offline analyzer. It processes the audio without your having to play it. If you want the links to these resources and to review these notes so you can get that workflow, understand things a little bit better, then go to theaudacitytopodcast.com slash loudness. And let's make sure our audio is reaching that loudness standard. It's not complicated. I know I've spent almost 40 minutes talking about it here. But it can be a really fast process, especially if you're using the right tools. And the results are much better. So your audio can be consistent across your episodes, within your episodes. And your audio of your podcast can be consistent with everyone else's audio for their podcasts as well. So that the user ends up with a much better experience. They can hear you. They can hear your co-host, your guests, they can hear your sound clips, and they're not being blasted by loudness. They are in control of the volume, and they only have to change that if their environment changes, not because of something that happens differently in your podcast. So use these tools to make your podcast audio much better and conform to the podcast loudness normalization standard. If this helped you, 
then please go to the show notes at theaudacitypodcast.com slash loudness. I'd also appreciate it if you would share this with anyone else whom you think would benefit from this if they need some help understanding loudness and bringing their podcast to these loudness normalization standards. That's at theaudacitypodcast.com slash loudness. I want to thank a couple people who wrote some kind reviews for the Audacity to Podcast in iTunes. Zachary Webb from the United States of America said, Daniel provides great information on the Audacity to Podcast. The way he shares information is easy to understand. Thanks for doing this podcast, Daniel. Thank you, Zachary, for that kind review. Zachary didn't mention the name of his podcast. So Zachary, if you could go to the show notes at theaudacitypodcast.com slash loudness and comment with the name of your podcast and a link to your website, and I'll be sure to stick it in the show notes so anyone else can check out your podcast if they're interested. Then Sean Highland from the Slept in Government Class podcast, great name, wrote this review in iTunes saying, Unity, Clarity, Sincerity. These are the three words I first think when I listen to Daniel's episodes. I always hear something I can use and never have to filter through garbage to get to the gold. Daniel also presents a clear desire to help people improve at something he truly loves. When I was first starting out, I listened to Daniel after I paid for a website service my new podcast didn't need. Thanks to Daniel, I was able to get a refund before the trial period ran out. That's real utility in a format I can enjoy. Thank you very much, Sean, for that kind review. And because Sean mentioned his podcast, I looked it up. Here's a description from iTunes. Slept in Government Class is a podcast for those who simply want an objective, nonpartisan look at government. If you just want the facts about what government is doing without the partisan spin, then this is the podcast for you. And that's at sleptinclass.com. And I have a link to his podcast in the show notes at theaudacitypodcast.com slash loudness. I really appreciate the iTunes reviews because they really encourage me. They help me to know how I'm helping you to podcast better, and they help me get to know your podcast and the kinds of podcasters who are listening to the Audacity to Podcast. So if you write a review for the Audacity to Podcast, please make sure that you mention the name of your podcast so I can give it a little shout out and a link in the show notes. So if you want to check out these podcasts, then go to theaudacitypodcast.com slash loudness. Podcaster Society is almost reopened to new members and should be opening very, very, very soon. I'm really excited about a new course launching first to Podcaster Society, and that's a complete Zoom H6 course for podcasters. Some really great information in this course, some nice ways that you can use the Zoom H6, which mic capsule is best for podcasting, how to use the Zoom H6 with Mix Minus for Skype, and much more. That's coming first to Podcaster Society, included with their membership, and it will be available later as a standalone purchase if you'd like. If you want to join the waiting list for Podcaster Society, or to join Podcaster Society if registration is reopened, then go to podcasterssociety.com and I'd love to help you improve the podcast you already have over there at podcasterssociety.com. Now that I've given you some of the guts and taught you some of the tools, it's time for you to go launch or improve your own podcast for sharing your passions and finding success. I'm Daniel J. Lewis from theaudacitypodcast.com. Thanks for listening. The Audacity to Podcast is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx.